My name's Gary. Uh, my wife and I are regular attenders here. Uh, also happen to be a, a pastor, formerly at least, um, and filling in for Jim this week. It is Memorial Day weekend, and uh, we remember those uh, both living and dead um, who sacrificed and have sacrificed so much so that uh, we could live in a, a great and a free country. Um, and I know veterans don't normally like uh, to make, they don't make distinctions among themselves. Uh, if you're a vet, you're a vet. If you've served, you've served. Uh, but there is one guy here this morning that I have to recognize. Uh, I have a friend here, Rod Kirschenstein, and uh, you folks need to grab this guy and have a little chat with him this morning if you get a chance. Uh, Rod landed at D-Day uh, on Nor- in Normandy, uh, was wounded on Utah Beach, um, spent a couple weeks on a hospital ship, and then jumped back in the fight uh, from Normandy to the Rhine River. He was a demolitions expert, blowing up everything uh, that the Nazi- Nazis could use. So uh, how about a round of applause for a great American hero, Rod Kirchenstein. going to be talking about forgiveness this morning, and I'm going to start by, um, by just reading a few passages, the, actually the last four verses uh, of Ephesians chapter 4. So bear with me a moment as I, as I read these four verses. Paul says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. Nice way of saying you're a Christian, watch your mouth. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, Forgiving one another just as God in Christ has forgiven you. In those last two verses, verses 31 and 32, uh, Paul gives us six putaways, six things he wants us to do away with bitterness, rage, anger, brawling which has to do not so much with the kind of brawling we think of in a bar, but uh, verbal brawling, slander, and malice. And then he says, forgive one another just as God in Christ has forgiven you. If you have a problem with bitterness, rage, anger, bitterness... uh, We all know what that is. Something's fermenting. Somebody's done something to us, and we're bitter about it. Rage, which is like a a very sudden and usually very loud outburst of anger. Uh, The term we use in our culture is somebody went off on me, you know? And then just the word anger. So bitterness, rage, and anger. What are the easiest, what's the single most useful word in getting rid of those three things? I think it's forgiveness. The next three, verbal brawling, brawling, slandering other people, trash-talking them, as we might say, and malice, malice, which 
to me, a, a good euphemism would be hard feelings against somebody. This, I want to suggest a solution to all six of these things. Paul says, watch your mouth first in 29 and 30. Then in 31 and 32, he basically says, get rid of bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, malice. And the, the ultimate way to do all of that is forgiveness. Forgiveness. And it's something that I think we, we talk a lot about as Christians. Uh, we've probably heard a lot about it, read a lot about it. But I wonder how seriously we really take it. And I wonder how well we really do it. Um, the Apostle Paul tells us uh, in two places. I'm going to throw up 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 11. There he says, uh, he's talking about the nation of Israel and some of the things that happened to them. And he says, the things that happened to them happened as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. He says almost the same thing in Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, but there he says these things happened to them to teach us. So basically Paul's saying, look, every significant or every substantial New Testament truth that you come across, there's going to be an Old Testament illustration of it. And so when I was going to talk about forgiveness this morning, um, an Old Testament example or illustration of forgiveness came to my mind. And it's from the life of Joseph in the book of Genesis. Uh, A little bit of background about Joseph. Most of you guys know the story, but I'm just going to tell it uh, quickly. Uh, Jacob had 12 sons. Uh, Joseph is the favorite. Okay, Genesis uh, chapter 37 and verse 3. Uh, 3 and 4 tells us clearly that Joseph was, as, as Jacob referred to him, the son of my old age. And he was the favorite. So that in itself right there is enough to make your brothers resent you. And boy, did Joseph's brothers resent him. Uh, he didn't add to it. He did some things, and we're going to read, we're gonna read about that. But he did some unwise things, and his brothers uh, finally got, they'd had it up to here. They couldn't handle him anymore. So they're out uh, in a remote area, and they decide they're going to get rid of him. First, they talk about killing them, which thankfully they don't kill him. Uh, But what they end up doing is selling him him to some traders, actually called Ishmaelite traders, uh, for for 20 pieces of silver. Uh, By the way, some theologians believe, and I I think there's a lot to this, that Joseph is a type. He's a picture, an Old Testament picture of Christ. Uh, Interesting. Christ was sold for 30 pieces of silver. Here, Joseph is sold for 20 pieces of silver and taken off in slavery to Egypt, where he ends up working for a guy named Potiphar, a very powerful man in Egypt. And he ends up working for Potiphar, and everything that Joseph does, God blesses. Uh, Pastor Jim did a series uh, going back, uh, I guess, about eight, ten months ago uh, on, on the life of Joseph. And one thing that Jim pointed out, and I hadn't noticed this before, but repeatedly, at least five or six times as you go through uh, these, these critical chapters in Genesis... It says, and the Lord was with Joseph, and the Lord was with Joseph, and the Lord was with Joseph. Well, he was with Joseph in a powerful way. And so Joseph prospers as manager of Potiphar's house. So Potiphar puts him in charge of his entire estate. Joseph then ends up being falsely accused of attempted rape by Potiphar's wife. Uh, Potiphar has no choice but to get rid of Joseph. He's thrown in jail. So things were great. Now they're terrible. He's in jail. 
uh, by another set of circumstances because the Lord was with him. He gets out of jail, uh, interprets a dream for Pharaoh, and ends up being the equivalent, uh, I would refer to it as, he ends up being the prime minister of Egypt. The most powerful man next to Pharaoh himself in all of Egypt. And his brothers hate him. So I'm going to take you back to where that started and where he uh, gets off, um, gets launched off to Egypt. I'm going to start in Genesis 37. I'm going to read verses 6 through 9. He, that is Joseph, said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out of the field when suddenly my sheave rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream. And he told it to his brothers. Mistake number two. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time, the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. Guess who the 11 stars were? (laughs) Now, Joseph is a a sterling guy in the Bible. I I really think there's two guys in the Bible, uh, aside from our Lord himself, obviously, who are so pristine in character that we really have to look at it with a magnifying glass to find anything wrong in their lives at all. And that's Daniel and Joseph. And if Joseph does anything wrong at all, I would chalk it up personally to childish foolishness. He's, He's only a teenager at this point. He hasn't, he needs to learn patience. He needs to learn discretion. He needs to learn uh, to be a little bit more insightful into the feelings of others. But at 17 years old, his brothers sell him into slavery. And as we already talked about, things go from bad to worse until he finally ends up being prime minister of all of Egypt. And from the life of Joseph this morning, I want us to look at four things that I think signify real forgiveness. Not... Forgiveness as our culture or our world would define it, but real forgiveness. Forgiveness, which has already been outlined for us in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you, if you're a believer. So, from the life of Joseph, real forgiveness is, number one, to the greatest extent possible, it tells no one about the offense. tells no one about the offense. See, what happens is uh, Joseph had prophesied and told Pharaoh what was going to happen from his dream, that there would be seven years of bounty in Egypt and then seven years of severe famine where, where there'd be virtually no food available. So Joseph tells Pharaoh that what we need to do is store up during that seven years so that we can make it through the second seven, the bad seven. And that's exactly what Joseph does. So what happens is people from all the surrounding countries are coming during the second half, the the bad seven years, to buy grain so they don't starve to death. Well, Joseph's brothers get sent by dad to come to, to Egypt to get grain so that they can survive. And they walk in and they don't even know who he is. They don't recognize Joseph. And I'm, I'm speculating a little bit here, but uh, he spoke, he spoke Hebrew. 
Uh, but I'm sure that they did not speak, his brothers didn't speak the Egyptian tongue. Uh, and Joseph, I'm sure, is going through an interpreter to maintain the facade. But then he decides he needs to level with his brothers. But look what he does. He waits until there's no one else in the room. As a matter of fact, in Genesis chapter 45 and verse 1, he says this, Have everyone leave my presence. Why would he do that? Well, number one, he's got a plan. He's got a plan that he wants to bring his entire family to Egypt. And he doesn't want to tip his hand yet. He doesn't want anybody else to know about his plan. Number two, he's about to identify himself to his brothers. And understand, Joseph is a hero in Egypt. So he doesn't want the Egyptians hearing about what his brothers did to him. That could really mess up the plan to have them come there and live a peaceful and happy life, right? So he has everybody leave. Everybody leave my presence. And you know what? He calls his brothers in and he identifies himself to them. You know, next time somebody really hurts you, try telling nobody about it. Try it. Really hard. Really hard. How, and you might say, how can anybody forgive that way? It isn't natural. That's right, it's not. It's supernatural. It's what Paul's talking about in Ephesians 4. Forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. How has God in Christ forgiven us? Let me give you an Old Testament verse that I know you guys know. Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. I had somebody say to me one time, yeah, East and west are opposite directions, but they go around the globe and they meet again. No, this is east and west in a straight line right off the planet. That's how far the Lord has removed our transgressions from us. Acts chapter 3 and verse 19 says that our sins have been wiped out, quote unquote. Romans chapter 3 and verse 24, one of my favorite verses says that you and I have been justified freely by his grace. And that word justified means to be declared not guilty. Our debt has been canceled completely. In his excellent book on forgiveness, and if you want to read more on the topic, I would recommend it, uh, Dr. Charles Stanley says this. He says, persons who refuse to forgive refuse to cancel the debt. Guys, listen, our sins are completely erased. They are wiped out. They've been, they've been buried in the deepest sea. And Jesus puts up a sign that says no fishing. He's not telling anyone. He's not spreading it around. God's forgiveness is real forgiveness. And now listen, if you have trusted Christ as your Savior, as your only hope of heaven, then your sin debt, all of your sins, have been totally, completely, and eternally wiped out. They're gone. They're gone. So, that being the case, by what right do you and I, as believers, how do we have the right 
to withhold forgiveness from anybody for anything. We don't. We don't have that right. And we don't have the right to spread the offense around. We don't have the right to trash talk people if we say that we're forgiving them. Because when you and I spread the offense around, what we're really doing is we're continuing to punish them. We're continuing to inflict pain on them. Forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Remember remember the, the night that our Lord was taken? The disciples just scattered. I mean, Peter at the Last Supper is boasting, Lord, even if all these guys forsake you, I'll never forsake you. I'll die with you. And we all know that three times, openly, he denied that he even knew Christ. So after the crucifixion, the 12 are all hiding. They're all in hiding. And you know the story in John chapter 20. Jesus walks through the door, and they're all there. And he says, you dirty bunch of backstabbing, no good creeps. This is where you're hiding. No, no. He says, peace be with you. Peace be with you. So real forgiveness tells, to, to the greatest extent possible, tells no one about the offense. Number two, doesn't allow the offender or offenders to fear us. Genesis 45 and verse 3. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were not able to answer him. Why? Because they were terrified at his presence. They're like, oh my gosh, it's Joseph. Joseph is alive. You know, if you've never, if you haven't really forgiven someone, if you're not involved in real forgiveness, uh, then we get a certain degree of pleasure, don't we, if they're afraid of us. We just do. Um, I had a friend one time who, uh, who said something very unkind about me behind my back. And I remember seeing this person in a store and seeing them uh, like walk up, see me coming and just turn right around and walk the opposite way. And you know what I remember feeling? I remember feeling, yeah, good, you better turn around, walk the other way. And see, I thought I'd forgiven that person, but I hadn't. Because I was still taking pleasure in the fact that they, didn't, that they were afraid of me. They didn't want to face me. But if we're involved in real, real forgiveness, we won't do that. I realize this. Our, our culture doesn't buy this. Our culture says, don't get mad, get even, yeah, or get ahead. But, you know, you, you, don't, you don't just completely smooth it over and try to make the person comfortable in your presence. You just don't do that. But real forgiveness does. Look at 1 John chapter 4 and verse 18. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. I'm going to take a little liberty with the text here and say perfect forgiveness drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. See, if we allow the offender to be afraid of us, we're still punishing them. We're not forgiving them, we're punishing them. 
That's not real forgiveness. And see, when Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, the scripture says they were terrified. He could have said, he could have done this. Hey guys, remember when I said that you guys would someday bow down to me? Well, guess what? Time to bow. But no, no, he doesn't do that. He doesn't want them to be afraid of him. As a matter of fact, if you look at this guy's life and if you really try to have some insight into his heart, he, look what he's done. Look what he's accomplished. He left a slave. They sold him into slavery. Here we are 20 years later, so he's probably in his mid to late 30s, Joseph, and he's, he's prime minister of Egypt. He's one, he's one of, if not the most powerful man in the world. He's accomplished some great things, but he's not trying to impress them. He doesn't want them to, to look up to him. He just wants them to love him. That's all he wants. Christian, just, just think about this. God wants you to love him, but he doesn't want you to be afraid of him. If you're not a Christian, you have good reason to be afraid. If you've never trusted in Christ as your Savior, you have very good reason to be afraid. But if you have, and if you are a believer, then God doesn't want you afraid of him. Being afraid of him is different from fearing him, having a reverence and an awe for him. But he doesn't want you to be afraid of him. Perfect love casts out fear. You and I, as Christians, don't have to fear because there's no punishment for us. Our punishment was put on Jesus 2,000 years ago on the cross, and it is tetelestai. It is finished. It's paid off. The moral mortgage on our life is paid off, and it's stamped finished. So you and I have no fear. Doesn't want... Doesn't spread the offense around. Doesn't want the offenders to fear us. And number three, real forgiveness means we want them to forgive themselves and not feel guilty. Genesis 45, verse 5. And now, says Joseph to his brothers, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. See, Joseph's brothers already felt guilty. And he's working with them to try to say, guys, don't. Don't feel guilty. You feel the supernatural nature of this? (laughs) This doesn't happen in our world, guys. Uh, Genesis 42, verses 21 and 22. they, They, that is his brothers, said to one another, Surely we're being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life. But we wouldn't listen. That's why this distress has come upon us. There's the Old Testament theory of retribution. You do something bad, God's going to get you. Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy, but you wouldn't listen? There's always somebody who does that, right? I tried to get us out of it, but nobody was listening. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. You know, one way to check if our forgiveness is real is do we feel a sense of satisfaction that the person that hurt us feels guilty? If so, I'll say it again, we're still trying to punish them. 
And Joseph doesn't want to punish his brothers. He wants to set them free. He doesn't want, to bl- want them to blame themselves. He doesn't want them to be angry with themselves. Are you, Christian, are you guilt-free? I can't tell you how many, as a pastor, and Jim, I know, would back this up. I can't tell you how many people I've come across over the years who are genuine believers, real believers, but are still torturing themselves over something in their past. Guys, it's so common. What, what, are you, what is it that you've not been able to get over? What is it that, that troubles you so much? Something you've done in the past, something you were involved in, something you're ashamed of, some kind of a failure, whatever it was. What is it that you just can't get past? That you can't move forward in life because you're still frozen back there in time. What is there in your life like that? Whatever it is, let it go. Because God let it go a long time ago. Forgive yourself. And think about this. Think about this. On an emotional and a practical level, what good is the forgiveness of God in our day-to-day lives if we can't forgive ourselves? You know, this is, as a pastor, there are, there are things that are rewarding and things that are not. One of the things, the, the greatest thing that I love when people say to me, say it to me, either they're believers or not believers. Sometimes it could be either. But, I love it when people come up to me and I say, You're, whatever it is, it's wiped out. It's gone. The Lord, the Lord, you know, buried it a long time ago. It's paid for. It's done. It's finished. Oh, but pastor, you know this one, Jim. You don't know what I've done. Seriously. I love when people say that to me. You know why I love it? Because I get to say to them, you know what? You can tell me if, it, if you think it'll make you feel better, but it really doesn't matter what you've done. Is it a sin that's mentioned somewhere in the Bible or somewhere in the newspapers? It doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus paid it all. And if you've accepted the free gift of eternal life, if you're a believer, he doesn't watch, want you walking around feeling guilty for anything. And we know that, but... Amazing grace is just too amazing, even for us as Christians sometimes, isn't it? So forgiveness is really, it's just amazing grace that's found its way from our, from our understanding and our mind and sunken down to our hearts to where we really are able to say, you know what, if God has forgiven me for it, why am I still harping on it? Why can't I let, us, let it go? Look what Joseph does for his brothers. Genesis 45 and verse 5. It was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. It was to save... Guys, you want to know why I ended up here? It wasn't because you sold me into slavery. That's not why I ended up here. I ended up here because God wanted me here to save lives. Our family may be first and foremost in my mind, but multitudes of people from surrounding nations. 
And what Joseph is doing, he's putting two very powerful forces together. He's putting his forgiveness along with the sovereignty of God. And what he's saying to his brothers is something like this verse, which I know you guys know. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. If you've been a believer any length of time, I know you know this. Want to read it with me? Come on, let's read it together. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Just say, listen, God had a plan. All right, things looked like kind of a mess, but God was working supernaturally in all that, and he had an absolutely amazing plan to save a multitude of lives by sending me here. So, so don't feel bad. Don't feel guilty. Let it go. And then number fourth and finally, real forgiveness may mean helping the person to save face by pointing to the sovereignty of God. Genesis 45, verses 7 and 8. But God sent me ahead of you to prepare for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Listen to this line now. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh and lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. And you know what? I guarantee you somebody's thinking, this isn't forgiveness. This is, remember this show, this is extreme makeover. This is just... This is just painting it over, you know, covering, throwing a rug over it, whatever. This is just pretending it's not there. Maybe so. Maybe so. But isn't that what God in Christ has done for you and for me as believers? His blood has covered our sin over completely. He's done an extreme makeover on every one of us who are members of his forever family. It's exactly what he's done. Joseph forgave his brothers in a really powerful way. And guess what, guys? He may be a type of Christ, but he's a sinner, just like you and I. Saved by amazing grace, but still a sinner. And yet he's able to do this. So are we. If... If we forgive, Ephesians 4.32, if we forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven us. Now, don't miss this point. Joseph isn't saying to his brothers, he isn't, he isn't doing this and forgiving them this way, and I've heard people say this, well, he was a kind and a gentle man. In other words, they just try to write it off to personality. But that's not it. That's not it. It's because Joseph loves and fears God. He fears God above all others. I don't mean he's afraid of God. I mean he reverences. He has an awe for God above anything else in his life. If he were, if he were just doing it because he's a kind and a nice guy, then, then let me ask you this question. Those of you who know the story... Remember when Joseph was working in Potiphar's house and Potiphar's wife takes a liking to Joseph? 
the book of Genesis tells us Joseph was a very handsome man. So Potiphar's wife makes a pass at Joseph and comes on to him. Not once, but multiple times. Now, Potiphar's wife is the wife of one of the richest men in Egypt. Do you really think that she loved Joseph in the best sense so much that she was going to leave Potiphar and go with a slave or a houseboy? No, I don't think so. So Joseph knows when Potiphar's wife makes this pass at him that she's not going to tell. So I could do this and pretty likely get away with it. But what does he do when push finally comes to shove? Remember, he runs. He literally runs. She accuses him of rape anyway, but which was a total lie. But he, why did he run? Because he reverences and fears God above all others. I wish I could tell you that some of the, some of the times in my life when I've run, and I have, when, when, I've, when I've walked out of a situation where I was being drawn in and, and there was a, forgive the expression, a great sin opportunity, and sin can be fun, Guys, don't let anybody tell you it can't. But it always overpromises, underdelivers, and always leads to regret in the end. But I wish I could tell you that the times that I ran, I ran because I'm a nice and a kind person. But I didn't. I ran because I was afraid of the consequences that God would bring in my life if I didn't run. So Joseph fears God. He reverences God. And as far as his brothers go, I want you to think of it this way. As far as his brothers go, as you know, as we go through life, big picture, there are two things that we should always be thinking about. There's divine sovereignty, that is, God is always at work in his creation, always. And then there's human responsibility. You and I are obliged to live the best life that we can to receive Christ as the promised Son of God and as our Savior and to live consistent with that. And God, for his part, is to work sovereignly in our circumstances so that Romans 8.28 shows up. All things work together for good, the good things and the bad. Joseph's brothers are completely hung up on the personal responsibility, the human responsibility. And all they can see is how drastically they failed, how completely they failed. They were going to kill their own brother, and then they sold him into slavery. And they can't get past it. So if they can't get past it, they're assuming Joseph can't get past it. But Joseph isn't primarily focused on the human responsibility. He's focused almost entirely on the divine sovereignty. And what he's saying to his brothers, guys, he's saying, look, take that personal responsibility part just for this per- just for this moment take it and cover it up throw it away i want you guys to focus solely on divine sovereignty you my brothers didn't send me here god sent me here so don't blame yourselves God had a plan to save our family and that meant that he had to move our family from israel here to egypt and Look at it this way. God just decided I was going to move first. So don't, please don't blame yourselves. 
It wasn't you. It was God. Let's revel together in the amazing handiwork and networking and sovereignty of God in saving our family. See what he's doing? Get your eyes off the human responsibility part. Let's pretend it didn't even, let's forget it. I've forgotten it. You guys forget it. And let's just thank God for the sovereign way he saved our family. Again, you say, who can do that? We can if we tap into amazing grace. We can if we obey Ephesians 4.32 to forgive one another just as God in Christ has forgiven us. Those of us who are recipients of amazing grace should live lives that are amazingly gracious, amazingly forgiving. I hope with all my heart that God has put his finger on something in your life that you need to let go of or someone that you might have you might think or have thought that you had forgiven them, but you really didn't. And I hope that if there's action steps to go with that, that you'll be able to do it. I've got one that God worked on me this week. The hardest thing, and yet the best thing about preaching, yes, Jim, is the way that God works you over <laughs> when you do it. And a situation came to my mind from my past that, that I think i got to do something about I do. I've forgiven, but I don't know that I've taken all these steps. And I think in order for real healing to take place, I might have to. Hope you guys have a great rest of your weekend. Father, we thank you for your amazing grace. We thank you that you have totally, completely, and unconditionally forgiven us. Lord, help us to extend that same forgiveness to others. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.